wonder if you've ever had someone believe in you, convince you to try your best, try harder. Have you ever had somebody who, who called out something within you that even you didn't know was there, that became a cheerleader for you, an advocate for you? My answer to that question is a man named Moody Connor. Always wondered how he got the name Moody because he was anything but. He was cheerful, he was joyful, he was encouraging. He was a coach. He was the coach of the linemen of our high school football team. He was also a teacher at our Sunday school class. And one Sunday after class, he took me to the side and he said, Max, I think you should go out for the football team. I think you could make it. Who knows what prompted him to say that? I was gangly. I was an out of proportion 14 year old. My feet were too big for my body. My biceps had no biceps. <laughs> I had no coordination. Still, Coach Connor saw something and he said something, so I did something. I signed up for the team, all because he encouraged me to have a bigger, better vision, and he saw a better version of myself. I want to talk to you about the greatest vision caster in history. God. God. No one has a greater vision for you than God does. The most insidious lie that Satan ever told is the lie that says God is against you. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is for you. The one who knows you best the one who came up with the very idea of you has plans for you that are out of this world. And he unveiled his plan for you in the most famous garden in history, the Garden of Eden. If you want to know what's next, you need to examine what's first. If you want to know what comes at the end of the timeline, really you begin by understanding what happened at the beginning of the timeline. Over the next few weeks, we're pausing at these major events described in Scripture. This is my best take on what's next. Your study may lead you to add another event or reverse some sequence. What matters most, however, is that we all recognize that we're headed to the same place, eternal life. And if you want to understand last things, the big word eschatology, you go back to the study of first things, the big word protology. In other words, you find a sketch for our future in the past, in the Garden of Eden. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now, by this point in the creation story, God had created much. 
Stars sparkled at night. Clouds floated in the day. The air was sweet with the fragrance of flowers and the melodies of birds. Creation, however, albeit magnificent, albeit mighty, was not made in the image of God. That designation, that privilege was reserved for the likes of you and me. We were made to be like God. We have the potential to be couriers of God, purveyors of God, godly patience, godly kindness, godly love, godly vision. We were made in the image of God. Angels weren't. Elephants aren't. Jellyfish aren't. My dog Andy is not. Only people are. You want to see how this happened? Look at this. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Ladies, you've always wondered why men are so messy. It's because we were made from dust. <laughs> Out of the soil of the garden, God shaped Adam's torso. He then carved the two legs and he rounded the head and he formed the nose and the same hand that flung stars in the heavens and scooped the floor out for the oceans sculpted the very first human being. And then, in an act that must have caused the angels to <gasps> gasp, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. Genesis 2 and verse 7. God exhaled. Adam inhaled. And for the first of what would be zillions of such occasions, lungs rose and emptied. Adam had life. But Adam had more than oxygen in him. He had God's breath in him. He bore the image of God. What a sterling, stunning creation he must have been. Unsullied by greed. Uncorrupted by racism. Unacquainted with anxiety or fear. Adam was perfect. So perfect, in fact, that God gave Adam a job. Chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Yes, God commissioned Adam to care for the garden, to tend and watch over it. Remember, this is not just a story of something that God did back then. This is a description of what God is doing with you and me. He made us. He breathed life into us. And he destined us to serve with him in a perfect place. The Garden of Eden is a picture of God's plan for us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to the Garden. What a delight to read God's announcement. 
It is not good for the man to be alone. Chapter 2 and verse 18. This is the first time we've heard the phrase, it is not good to come from God. Everything else was good. Everything else was perfect. When he saw the plants, the trees, the daytime, the nighttime, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But then he sees Adam all alone with no companion. And he says, that's not good. So God brought animals and birds to Adam. Chapter 2, 19. To see what the man would call them, but there was no helper just right for him. Adam exercises his God-given authority over animals. He gives them names. Rhino, you'll be a rhino. Hippo, you'll be a hippo. Mosquito, you'll be a mosquito. I kind of wish he'd just slap that first mosquito. <laughs> but the man could find no helper for him. And men, aren't we glad? I mean, what if he had found a warthog he liked? <laughs> I thought that was funny. God had a special gift for Adam. Genesis 2, 21 through 25, the greatest wedding scripture in the Bible. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. And she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. So God put Adam to sleep, thereby forever sanctifying the act of a good nap. And while Adam dozed, God extracted a rib from Adam's side. And he created the perfect partner. Eve, like the bone from which she was made, was created to be closest to Adam's heart. And then the Lord said, watch this, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Where do we start highlighting the wonderful messages of the scripture? I think we start with the pronoun them. Let them, let Adam and Eve, partners they were intended to be, co-workers, equally loved, equally cherished, equally made in God's image. And then together they would have dominion over the fish, the birds, and the livestock. They would, they would, they would be co-regents with God, ruling over creation. Adam sampled this when he was naming the animals. 
But now we read it and we say, wait a second. Something changed. Do we have dominion over creation? Do we oversee the sea, rule the livestock? Far from it. We can hardly get fish to bite, much less obey. And some animals would rather eat us than submit to us. We agree with the New Testament writer who made this observation in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 8. When God put Adam and Eve in charge of everything, nothing was excluded. But we don't see it yet. We don't see everything under human jurisdiction. Something happened. It was surrendered. We don't see it. We see creation in a state of corruption, pollution, chaos, heat waves, wildfires, hurricanes, earthquakes, famines. We agree with the Apostle Paul. He said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Something is awry. Something is not working correctly. Instead of ruling the world, don't we sometimes feel ruled by the world? And male and female, do they behave as partners? Oftentimes more like competitors, rivals. So what happened? Rebellion happened. Greed happened. Satan happened. The garden was not enough for Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God. And God, who knows what is best for his creation, said, no, that's not going to happen. And please hear this. He pressed the pause button on the Garden of Eden plan. But he did not cancel it. He did not abandon it. And he certainly did not abandon us. Just the opposite. God set in motion a plan of redemption. Restoration. That included promises and prophets and miracles. He made a covenant with Abraham. He raised up Joseph in Egypt. He gave courage to David. He gave words to the prophets like Jeremiah and Elijah. He even lived among the people. He tabernacled with people in a moving tent and then in the temple. But still the people sinned. Adam's curse was baked into the human condition. Adam sinned first, but we've all rebelled since. And no amount of teaching, no amount of miracles, no amount of animal sacrifice could stop it. It would take a perfect man and a perfect sacrifice to overcome the curse. Enter Jesus Christ. Did you know the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 45 through 49. The first Adam and the last Adam had much in common. 
Like Adam, Jesus had no earthly father. Like Adam, Jesus was given authority and exercised authority over creation. Like Adam, Jesus was tempted. Unlike Adam, Jesus never sinned. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for this terrific summary paragraph, Romans 5. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all into this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. Isn't that a great line? Who did it wrong? Adam. Who did it right? Jesus. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. Who was that? Adam. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. The last Adam did it right. He did for us what a group of rescuers did for those children who were lost in the Amazon jungle. On May 1st, 2023, a small aircraft with seven passengers crashed into the most remote part of the Amazon rainforest. Did you see this story? The Cessna was flying from one small village to a slightly larger one, hundreds of miles south of Bogota, Colombia. Evidently, the single-engine prop plane failed in midair, causing a forced meeting with a dense canopy of the trees and the jungle's unforgiving floor. All seven passengers were presumed dead. The odds of survival were minimal. Uh, the search area was 100 miles long and 20 miles wide. It would take Colombian special forces more than two weeks, but they eventually located the crash site. And when they did, they were saddened to find three of the seven passengers who had perished. And they were surprised to learn that four of the seven passengers, all children, all siblings, raging from age 13 to 11 months were missing. Nowhere to be found. Nowhere near the site. Not on board, nowhere. Columbia stepped up the rescue efforts. The government dispatched 150 soldiers, 40 volunteers, and even some rescue dogs. Tiny clues of hope were found. There was a baby bottle here, small footprints there, even some used diapers. The children were raised near the jungle, and the rescuers hoped that the older ones would remember what plants to avoid, what insects to avoid, but they were kids. How could anyone hope they would survive? Days turned into weeks. Desperation grew. The rescuers dropped boxes of food, water, even whistles into the jungle, hoping that these would sustain the children. But day after day ended in despair. 
the search crew finally asked themselves this question. After more than a month of efforts, they asked, could it be that the children are evading escape? Possibly dodging the rescuers. Turned out that was exactly the case. I mean, the children didn't know if the rescuers had come to hurt or help. The search crew, as it turned out, was more than once within 50 feet of the kids. I wonder if that story might be a parable for humanity. The overarching message of the Bible is God's relentless passion for his children. He will have his garden. He will have his creation. And he will have his children reign over the garden. We may change our plans, but God never changes his. And what he declared in the garden is a state of fact. It will happen. He wants us back. He's got plans for you that are out of this world. He has written your name into the grand narrative. And he is sending, even this morning, he's sending message after message, miracle after miracle, mercy after mercy. But down through the ages, what have we done? We've resisted the one who came to rescue us. We've turned away. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did after they turned away from God? Have you seen this scripture in Genesis 3 and verse 8? When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife did what? They hid. They hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. They hid from God. You might say we've been hiding ever since. But God, never easily put off, sought them out. And he asked a question that has rung through the ages. Genesis 3, 9. God called to the man, where are you? And with that question, God initiated a rescue mission. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He was not going to abandon his children. The Colombians displayed equal resolve. They came up with a plan. What would convince those kids to come out of hiding? They needed the voice of someone they could trust. So the rescuers got creative. They lowered speakers down into the jungle. Strong enough to be heard for a mile in a circle. And then, this is key, they played an invitation recorded by a beloved grandmother. Telling the children, stay in one place. The rescue team is here to help you. And on day number 40, all four children 
emaciated, insect-bitten, weak, and most of all, afraid. They were found. The grandmother's voice called them out of the shadows. They needed a voice they could trust. So did we. So God became a human. Jesus Christ entered our jungle of hurt and heartache and he spoke with a voice that we could trust and he issued a, a message that we cannot resist. I have come to save you. I have come to take you out of here. And not only did our rescuer talk to us, but he died for us. Remember God's plan. People made perfect in a perfect garden. Jesus was perfect. And his plan is for people made perfect to serve in that garden forever. But how could we be made perfect when we're anything but? Raise your hand if you haven't sinned ever. Okay, thank you. So what is God going to do? Well, he became a person, led a perfect life, a sinless life, but then when he died on the cross, he died the death that I deserve. The sinless one became a sinner so that the sinner could be viewed as sinless. So when you say yes to Christ, God cloaks you or clothes you in the righteousness or the perfection of Christ. And he writes your name in the book of life. It's that simple. It's that wonderful. God's dream has never changed, folks. He is going to have his garden and he will populate it with his people and he will do whatever it takes to take us to safety. He is recruiting for himself a people with whom he will reign in this wondrous, soon-to-be-perfected universe forever. Moving from the first book in the Bible to the last book in the Bible, book of Revelation. Jesus said, look, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. I will let everyone who conquers sit beside me on my throne just as I took my place with my father on his throne when I had conquered. You become a member of the royal family. You are privileged to sit with Christ on the throne. Well, Max, exactly when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? And how will we reign with Christ? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to unpack in this series. But today, I just want to beg you to believe in the God who believes in you. Believe in the God who believes in you. You're not on a dead-end street. Your story won't end with a final heartbeat or a final breath. Your worth is not measured by the number of bucks in the bank or diplomas on the wall or followers on your account or lovers in your bed 
or gadgets in your garage or tattoos on your skin. You are known and purchased by the Almighty God. And his destiny for you is mind-blowing and wonderful. In fact, when you say yes to Christ, you begin to reign even now. Again, this is not me making this up. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, all who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. You begin to rule over your weaknesses, your struggles. Little by little, day by day, you reign in your lusts, your desires, your racism, your bitterness, your anger. God reclaims that territory that is rightfully his. And you rule in the sense that when you pray, prayers are answered. And when you speak, the demons scatter. When you worship, the atmosphere is changed. We get to sample just a bit on earth what we will do forever in heaven. I'll close with this. Peace with God comes to the degree that we trust the plan of God. You can be at peace. You can. God did not create you to live an unsettled, anxious, and frightened life. You can be at peace with God. And you do so simply by accepting the plan of God. Coach Connor had a plan for me. He said something. But you know I had to do something. God has said something, and some of you are hearing this plan for the very first time. And you've always thought that it was up to you to fix you or that all of life was just this life? Oh, hogwash. God's plan for you is that you say yes to him. And when you say yes to him, he deposits his spirit within you and he writes your name in the book of life. It's not to say life is going to be easy, but it is to say you're going to spend forever with him. Wouldn't it be a shame to miss out on God's plan for your life? And now, Heavenly Father, we commit our hearts to you. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and speak. In the name of Jesus, we pray.